If World War III was to break out, many say it could start over Taiwan, and we've been reminded of that just this past week after US Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi made a quick visit to the island. China responded with ramped-up military exercises, war games to intimidate Taiwan, which it considers a renegade province. Now, it raises a fascinating ethical question. What does it mean to adopt a strategy of ambiguity? Now, the US, like Australia, recognises only one China, but there is enough wriggle room built into that for all sides to avoid conflict. What happens when that ethical ambiguity fails? And are we seeing that right now? Dr Roger Lee Huang is expert on Taiwan's security and international relations at Macquarie University. Yeah, so the strategic ambiguity has really been in existence the last several decades. After the United States um, recognized the People's Republic of China as the one China, mm. it really gave this space to continue de facto diplomatic relations, really. I mean, everyone calls it unofficial, informal, you know, any word you want to use. Well, they're not, really, they're not strictly uh, diplomatic, are they? But there are ties and there is the Taiwan's Relations Act. There is some meat on the bone still to that relationship. Well, exactly. I mean, anyone who's actually visited Taiwan would recognize that large majority of uh, international community actually has representation of some form, even though they're informal, they're usually called trade or cultural or economic offices. But you go to the de facto embassy in Taipei, it's this massive building that's only been you know, upgraded recently, relocated and mm. upgraded a couple of years ago. So these are all real significant informal but de facto relations that United States, Australia and other countries have in Taiwan. Now, the strategic ambiguity really have for one way, try to maintain the so-called status quo since the United States recognized China in 1979, yes. which is to both deter China, of course, to uh, formally invade and annex Taiwan, but at the same time, it was meant to keep Taiwan also from mm. formally declaring the jury formal independence, uh, Republic of Taiwan. So this kind of legal gray area in many ways, I think, might be past its due date when we're in 2022. Especially, much more. Especially, Roger, yes, sorry to ahead. come in there, but especially if we see moves like Nancy Pelosi, a very senior figure, visiting Taiwan. Is that an unnecessary provocation? Is that the sort of thing that strategic ambiguity was designed to avoid? Well, yes and no. I think in many ways, and this is where China has done very well, is to really up the antique itself. So China, you know, what we're looking at the moment, the last several days was a live military exercise. Many of this, sure, the scale hasn't been quite the same in the past, but especially the last two years, you have seen from the Chinese side, this escalation of tension in several fronts, whether it's trade and uh, economic coercion, which we've all seen here in Australia, of course, but also a large number of POA planes coming over to the air defense zone, identification zone uh, in Taiwan areas. So these things have been escalating for the last several years. And in many ways, Pelosi's visit just gives a pretext for China to do much more than what it was able to get away with. Should the United States, though, Roger, be cognizant of, I, I know that China has ramped up that rhetoric, it's increased its military exercises, but should the United States be cognizant of the risks of a provocation that may have been unnecessary that this is the sort of thing that could tip this over the edge. 
Yeah, and I think there is a lot of that blame game. Who's to blame? Is it the U.S. unnecessarily provoking China's response? And from my perspective, yes, you know, there could always be more careful ways to really navigate the tricky situation across the Taiwan Strait. But at the same time, the status quo change, this revisionist change, really isn't coming from the United States and Taiwan. The stakeholder that is trying to change what has been basically established de facto at least since 1979, arguably、mm. since 1949, was the establishment of the PRC after the Civil it's, War. It's,、yes. After the Civil War, it's actually China that's trying to change the status quo. You know, as a fact, there has been two separate political entities across the Strait at least since 1949. Now, whether we want to formally refer to Taiwan as Taiwan or Republic of China or any other name, Chinese Taipei or any other really funny. Here's my opinion, is not the issue. The issue is what China wants to do. There is no actual、mm. you know, movement from sensible political leaders in Taiwan to declare the jure independence because they recognize exactly what you're referring to. This type of supposed provocation of Chinese action, but the fact on the ground is. That these are two different so, political entities. So, so Roger, given that, and given that you've said maybe we call time on strategic ambiguity, given the increased escalation and pressure that's coming from mainland China, what then? What is the response now? Is this a time to pick sides? Uh, you know, as an academic, I, love, I try not to make everything too simple、mm. because, of course, it's very complex and nuanced. I do think that strategic ambiguity might be close to past its due date. I think there needs to be clear、uh, red lines to be drawn from a Taiwanese and American side. We often hear about Chinese red line, right? That's what we often hear about, whether it's in the newspapers, headlines, or even within academic debates. But what are the red lines for Taiwan? What are the red lines for the United States? We don't hear them enough. Sure, China has its own political reason to do what it does, and some people argue that it's really beyond strategic calculation. That it's almost a religious kind of belief that they need to unify or, or annex or whatever you want to call take Taiwan as part of China. But you need to have firm ground saying, look, the status quo has worked, but. China is obviously China will use military force if it deems that it has the power to overcome、mm. any challenges, any international intervention. That is clear. China has not denied that. So what needs to be done? I'm definitely not an advocate for war and further arms race. But the reality on the ground is you need to find a realistic, credible deterrence to prevent China being too overconfident and、mm. misfire or make a wrong decision. We don't want to have the day where Xi Jinping decides or any potential CCP leadership you know, waking up in the morning saying, "Today is the day." I'm sure we can carry out this massive you know, invasion, and Japan and United States and South Korea and Australia will not be able to stop us. And I think things like Pelosi's visit are important. Yes, might not be the best way to have carried out the trip. There might be other ways to to navigate around、mm. that trip, but it shouldn't stop these leaders. From the international community to come and show its support for Taiwan, and that that's really、um, something you can see in Taiwan. For a large majority of people in Taiwan, we're very, very welcoming and very happy of the visit. You know, for better or worse, a large majority of Taiwanese do not view the current live military exercise as an imminent threat, as many of the international、mm-hmm. headlines have suggested. Just finally, Roger, to what extent, if at all, the Russia-Ukraine war factors in? To this, is China watching this and thinking, well, what will this tell us about an invasion of Taiwan? What will this tell us about American resolve? How does China factor Russia's invasion of Ukraine into its planning for Taiwan? 
I mean, everyone clearly is looking at what's unfolding in Ukraine, right? And I think, in my opinion, this has really gave China more careful thought if it does want to indeed carry out a successive campaign. What Ukrainians have demonstrated is that it's not so straightforward. Everyone really predicted and was kind of saying, well, if Russia invaded, you know, Ukrainians will roll over in two weeks. That clearly has not materialized. Now, Taiwan has been paying very close attention to this. We have heard people talk about this for a long time to develop these asymmetrical kind of defensive mechanisms to prevent China from overpowering Taiwan's defense. You're hearing a lot of the Taiwanese civilians themselves now to think of ways to help any potential war effort. So there's been an uptake apparently uh, with people joining gun clubs. There's been kind of civilian self-training courses, you know, in case of any actual conflict. Can they do CPR? Where are the uh, air bomb shelters? And all these things are now being seriously re-examined and discussed again. Now, on the Chinese side, too, I think they will also see that really any foreign invasion, they need to have absolute certainty, right, that they can quickly take over Taiwan. And if they can't, then this is something they are also not going to be worth going to gamble on. We've already seen the economic repercussions for the entire international community of the invasion mm. of Ukraine. And given China's kind of importance in the global supply chain, everyone will suffer. And I think that's a good lesson for everyone to remember is that no one wins in war. And I think we need to start thinking about the narrative that mm. China has this right to say and dictate whether someone or, or the other can or cannot visit Taiwan. And I think visit from 82-year-old politician shouldn't, yes, I know the symbolism, yes, I know she's third, you know, second in line to the presidency, but all of this shouldn't provoke the type of reaction China has you know, pulled out, all these mm-hmm. life arm missile exercises, everything. All of this seems disproportionate to what mm. a simple visit <laughs> should provoke. Roger, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. Roger Thi Wang, expert on Taiwan security and international relations at Macquarie University in Sydney. Thank you. Thank you, Stan. This is the Religion and Ethics Report on RN, and you can find us on the ABC Listen app. <laughs> ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.